Welcome to Bitcoin Sermons, the podcast that preaches how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Jesus. It's a fascinating topic, and I think it's like the elephant in the room that not many are really talking about, even though it's so obvious. Well, whether you're a Bitcoiner or a Christian or both, this podcast has something for you. In today's episode, we're going to talk about something that came out in the news this past week that really answers a lot of questions and basically confirms a lot of the things that I have been saying in earlier episodes in regards to central bank digital currencies and their role in Bible prophecy in connection with the mark of the beast. So this is a loaded and fascinating topic and one of the utmost importance. And we're just going to take the bull by the horns in this episode and wrestle this thing to the ground. So here we go. The news I first saw in the form of a telegram post, which said the following. This is from a Laura Aboli. Now, I'm not subscribed to her channel, and I don't follow her messages, but somebody reposted this one, and I happened to see it. And it has a picture of NAB, which I take it to be an Australian bank, and her comment says, Here we go, with an angry face. A bank in Australia can now close an account if a customer makes offensive or discriminatory comments on social media. That was a quote. The National Australia Bank, NAB, there we go, has set new criteria for excluding customers. From the 1st of November 2023, a bank can ban customers from using its services if they negatively impact another person's emotional well-being. Think about what that implies, what that means for a moment. Impacting another person's emotional well-being. So that obviously ties into anything that would get categorized as hate speech. Okay. This includes customers who leave offensive or discriminatory posts or comments online or cause mental harm on social media. In addition, people who behave in a threatening or abusive way toward others may be excluded from the bank. Alright, so of course the first thing I had to do is check that out to see whether that's really so and what news was really coming from Australia because sometimes it can get distorted by other people's perspective. So I went to check that out, and here's what I found. So this is Sputnik. This happens to be the first thing that popped up. It says, Australia compromised by national bank rule closing accounts for speech violations. And this is an older article from earlier this year. It's dated the 9th of May, 2023. But it speaks about what's happening in November. It says, a, and this is the heading of the article, a new forthcoming rule by the National Australian Bank, so it was then forthcoming, expected to be implemented in November, so that means it's here now, would allow the bank to close customers' accounts for a wide range of speech-related offenses. A banking expert said it was an abuse of human rights and antithetical to democratic values. That is the estimate that a banking expert places on this rule. Very interesting. Now, the more I dig into this, the more I find here. And I'm just going to read this article with you to see what we can pull out of it here. I haven't read the whole thing yet. But let's just go through it. According to a news release by the bank about the updated terms and conditions, the rule will allow bank administrators to investigate and close the accounts of people reported to have used, quote, 
coercive or controlling behavior to limit a person's access to or use of funds. Sounds like what they themselves are doing. Making profane, derogatory, discriminatory, or harassing comments to any person. That's very broad. Making or promoting, threatening, or abusive language to any person. And making or threatening physical or psychological harm to any person. End of quote. Uh, yeah, that includes a lot of things that are easily interpreted to mean pretty much anything. Certainly including the woke LGBT agenda, any kind of racial anything. Pretty much if you offend somebody, you could lose your bank account. The rule change is in keeping with guidance issued by Canberra in June that seeks to bring various government institutions functioning in line with national law. The move has aroused the fury of defenders of free speech, which does not have the same legal foundations as it does in the United States, where speech, by and large, is legally restricted only by its potential to imminently provoke violent or illegal behavior. So notice the emphasis here that it's about free speech, because we're going to come back to that. Daniel Freyheit, a counsel at Rousseau, Mazuka LLP, and a Law Society of Ontario certified specialist in corporate and commercial law, was one such person who spoke out. The entire Commonwealth is compromised, Freyheit wrote on X. When news about the NAB rule change broke, look into dual citizenship and consider moving your savings to countries that respect property and speech. Interesting remark. Sputnik asked the attorney about his thoughts about free speech and how the rule could affect the banking sector. Quote, I said the entire Commonwealth is compromised because the use of bank freezes appears to be part of a common pattern in Canada and Australia now, going against basic human rights, free speech, end of quote. He said on Tuesday, quote, Of course, there are and ought to be limits on speech, but this approach of freezing money is quite harsh, escapes due process, and is very difficult to challenge, end quote. Quote, This notion, not being able to criticize our government, is antithetical to democratic values and to me indicates our Commonwealth system has been compromised, end of quote, he added. Before we continue here, the quote goes on, but I want to point out this happened in Canada as well, and I assume he's referring to the trucker protest, and it's very much about free speech and about the use of freezing money in order to address it, okay? Continuing the quote, when money is frozen, it makes it hard to challenge the decision because the person has no money to retain legal counsel, Freeheit observed. I can't speculate how this will evolve, but one way this could play out is if an Australian routinely criticizes the Australian government or an Australian citizen, an individual working for the government, for example, a politician, that politician can, in theory, notify the bank of said individual being profane, and the bank could then freeze the person's bank account, all for the crime of being too critical of the government, end of quote. And that appears to be the end of the article here. So, very interesting remarks by this Freeheit. But uh, the entire topic itself is very interesting. And I want to highlight just a couple of things here. First of all, this is not limited to Australia. Australia is known to be one of the more draconian police states, if you will, around the world. But it's also part of the free world and particularly the English-speaking free world and the things that happen there obviously have profound implications. In many ways, some of these other countries around the world where it seems like things get a little more crazy, I mean, you, you remember back in the time of the lockdowns for COVID that Australia was like a prison, a national prison, the whole country because of their restrictions on travel. And when you look at what happens in these kinds of countries, it's an index into the sentiment and the heart of what is behind the rules and regulations, which are generally 
effective around the globe. And so it should be very concerning what's happening in Australia, even for people in other countries. And this article also referenced Canada and what happened there with, I assume it was referring to the trucking protest, where free speech and the right to peaceful demonstrations was attacked by freezing the bank accounts of the protesters. And this attack on free speech happening in two notable countries referenced here is something for all the world to take notice of because we don't live in a world where individual countries are sovereign in the same way that they historically were. We live in a world, by contrast, that has come together under global frameworks, legal frameworks. And this came to really widespread attention recently when the WHO, the World Health Organization, was given rights to coordinate global response in circumstances like COVID-19. And this was something that really triggered a lot of people in a lot of countries for the obvious reason that it steps on national sovereignty. And that's the world that we live in now. And that's just one example of it. And not the first example, but perhaps the most well-known and well-recognized. But the nations of the world have been uniting over a number of years through various means and various legal frameworks. And so what you see happening in places like Australia or Canada in regards to freezing money for speech violations, this is not something that's limited to just those countries. It's just those countries that are the most bold with carrying out those types of actions because of their existing standing, so to speak. Those are countries in which the leaders can get away with that easily without a lot of backlash from the people because the people are used to that type of oppression, even in those so-called free countries. And so it's happening there, but it can happen anywhere. And Every other country, including the United States and every other free country, is operating in the same global framework of international law. And basically, these countries, like Australia here, are setting the precedent for the whole world. Any other country in the world can do the same thing. It's just a matter of treading carefully not to upset the people in too dramatic of a way that it backfires on them. But in principle, this can happen anywhere because the world is no longer operating as a collection of independent sovereign nations. It's operating under one unified legal framework. Okay, so I think that was important to really kind of make that clear because it's easy to see stuff that happens over in Australia and just kind of say, oh, wow, those Australians, you know. But this is stuff, this is setting the precedent for what can happen anywhere under the same global legal framework. Now, let's get to what this is really about, okay? Just this morning, as I was looking for this same article again that I had uh, first encountered in researching this topic, I found another article which caught my attention. And as I scanned through it, I found one particular detail that kind of explains the whole issue here. And I'm going to pull up that article. All right, so this article comes from the Daily Mail, and the headline is NAB, so that's the same bank that we read about in the other article. NAB tells customer of 30 years the bank is closing his account with no explanation as to why, but he suspects that the cause was a common act. 
Now, that's what caught my attention, was what the man suspects was the reason. And I scanned this whole article looking for that reason, and it appeared in just one word toward the end of the article. But along the way, this was a very interesting article. So I don't know if I'm going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to kind of skim it here, or at least pull out some highlights for you. It says, a National Australia Bank customer was shocked to receive a letter telling him the bank would close his account in six weeks without any reason, despite him being a client for more than 30 years. And this is fairly recent. It says that he had until October 14 to close all his NAB accounts. After that, the bank would wait two weeks before doing it for him. So now you do the math from October 14 at two weeks, and that comes to October 28. It's awfully close to the November 1st beginning of the implementation of this new rule that allows the banks to close accounts based on any kind of offensive speech, okay? As we read in the other article. So in effect, what we're reading in this article is perhaps the first case of a man that they will close his account because of speech reasons, and they're just waiting for that November 1st date to arrive to give them the official authority to do so under the new rules. Okay, that's what we're looking at here, all right? They're literally ready to pounce on this guy. And why? Let's keep reading. I'm skipping some paragraphs here. It says the letter told Mr. Lucas that any remaining funds could be transferred to the Commonwealth government as unclaimed money and amounts under $20 could be transferred to the NAB Foundation. The guy says, I called up the NAB three times and asked what the hell is going on here. It was a young guy and he was pretty good. We spoke through it and he was pretty stunned. He said, this is the, the bank guy, said, I've never seen anything like this. The NAB letter stated the account was being closed in line with Section 143 of the Banking Code of Practice. Section 143 of the Banking Code of Practice states that a bank may close an account of yours under its terms and conditions if that account is in credit. This section states that the bank will give reasonable notice, pay you the amount of the account balance, but may charge a reasonable amount for closing accounts. And they actually include a copy of the letter. It says, NAB regularly reviews customers' accounts and in line with Section 143, blah, blah, blah. We advise that we'll be closing all your accounts and services. It has the exact dates. It actually says October 19, not October 14 in this letter. Okay, I'm going to skip a little bit here and come down to where it says, Mr. Lucas said he is at a loss to know why his personal and business accounts are being closed. I am as straight as you come, he said. I don't drink. I don't go to the pub. I don't gamble. I am just a family man who runs a small business, my bank account, and I can't get any cleaner. I pay my suppliers and I get paid by my clients. I haven't written duck off on any of my transactions. A spokesperson for NAB told Daily Mail Australia on Thursday that they do not comment on individual cases. However, they clarified that any money they sent to the Commonwealth government could be claimed by the rightful owner at any time. Now here comes the reference to the new rule that we've been talking about here. Major banks have terms and conditions which state customers may not use their services if they engage in conduct that, in the opinion of the bank, is offensive, harassing, or threatening to other people. Mr. Lucas said when he read about this in an NAB brochure, he made a complaint to this local branch about why the bank should be allowed to do this but was dismissed as being silly. He has since been told the account closure was not punishment for raising that objection. Okay, so that wasn't it. So what was it? According to Mr. Lucas, the single letter is the only communication he has from the bank about looming account closure. There's no email. There's nothing in internet banking. There's no notifications, he said. What if I was overseas and didn't get that letter? 
Frustrated by the lack of communication, Mr. Lucas went to see his local bank manager. He went through my personal and business accounts, and there's nothing there, Mr. Lucas said. He couldn't see on his screen why they have closed my account, so the branches get no information. And then here comes the kicker. When I said, is it because I bought Bitcoin? He said, that's probably the issue. So there you have it. There's the one word reason why they closed this man's account. It's because of Bitcoin. And this is where it gets very, very interesting. But before we get into all the ramifications, I want to finish off this article because they really expose how non-forthright the banks are being about this issue. It says NAB announced in July that it would stop transactions made to high-risk cryptocurrency exchanges. Okay, you can grant them that. But then they give the reason, to save customers from a scam epidemic. Okay, wow, yeah, they're protecting their customers. Is that really what bank account closures do? Do they protect their customers? Or if their goal were to save customers from a scam epidemic, could there be other ways that they could do it without closing accounts? Well, the article asks the same question. If you attempt to make a payment using your NAB Visa credit or debit card to one of these exchanges, the transaction will be declined and you will be shown a message which says, Issuer declined transaction, a Q&A on the announcement said. There was no mention of closing accounts. Yeah, logically, because it's not necessary to close accounts to save customers from a scam epidemic. Mr. Lucas said he hasn't sent any money to a Bitcoin exchange in a while. I am a shrimp, not a Bitcoin whale, he said. I am not some big multi-millionaire. I am just an average guy. So that's an important detail just to show that we're not dealing with any large amount of money here. Just to put it in perspective, when the guy says he's a shrimp... That means he holds less than one Bitcoin. So it's highly likely that his business generates far more than anything he holds in Bitcoin by that reference. Mr. Lucas says after this, he is done with NAB and has been asking around only to find some banks are refusing to do any Bitcoin transactions. You go and gamble, you go to the pub, you can go to a brothel with Asian sex slaves. They are fine with that, but you can't buy Bitcoin, Mr. Lucas said. If I go buy a car, and it is a lemon of a car and a bad investment, that's my choice. If I go buy Bitcoin and I buy at the top and sell at the bottom, then that's a bad investment. That's my choice. No one holds a gun to your head and says, you've got to buy this or you've got to see this. It should be a free society where we have the right to purchase what we want. I'm not doing anything illegal. All right, that's the end of the article. And those were some very interesting remarks about the freedom to spend your money and the kinds of things that the banks do allow, like gambling, drinking, patronizing brothels, and yet they protect you, so to speak, from buying Bitcoin. Quite a contradiction there, and it really shows that it's not about the best interests. It's not about protecting the people. There's something else about Bitcoin that the banks are taking issue with that they aren't admitting. And yet, the answer to that and what that is, we've already read and we just need to connect the dots. But I want to point out what this guy says about an individual's investment choices, that it should be up to the person what they choose to do with their money. And if they choose to make a bad investment, that's their choice. And nobody is holding a gun to their head, saying they've got to make that choice. That's the words of this man in the article, but it's very significant. No one holds a gun to your head and says you've got to buy this or you've got to see this. And we're going to come back to this being forced at gunpoint. It's interesting that he uses that expression. Nobody forces you at gunpoint. Nobody forces you on pain of death to make a bad purchase. It should be a free society where we have the right to purchase what we want. I'm not doing anything illegal, he says. So, of course, 
within the realm of what is legal. Okay, so that's it for the articles. Now I want to connect the dots with you. Why are they picking on Bitcoin and why is it that they can pick on Bitcoin within the framework of these new rules that have just gone into effect in November, which are supposed to be dealing with free speech and with offenses to other people in regards to free speech. And therein lies the connection. And that's the fact that Bitcoin is a system of free speech. Free speech is the foundation on which Bitcoin is built. In the Genesis block, in the very first Bitcoin block in the blockchain, is recorded a news headline from 2009 that says, Chancellor on the brink of bailouts for the second time, something like that. And that headline is indelibly recorded in the Genesis block for all time. That's free speech exercised by the miner of the first Bitcoin block. And so free speech and Bitcoin have a two-way working relationship. On the one hand, it is free speech that allows Bitcoin to thrive because Bitcoin is basically just a computer program and therefore the source code for that computer program can be distributed as free speech. This principle was demonstrated early on in the cypherpunk movement by the cypherpunks mailing a book containing cryptography instruction and sending it overseas from one country to another. And in so doing, they were demonstrating the fact that to talk about cryptography and explain it and describe how it works and ultimately how to put it to use in a computer program, all these things are aspects of free speech. And these are things that you can publish in a book and transmit to other people freely. And it's on that same foundation of free speech that Bitcoin thrives because Bitcoin is an open source piece of software that anyone can have access to, can see that source code, can study it, understand it, verify it, and or ultimately just run it on their local computer. And when they do so, this system called Bitcoin is born. One's local computer becomes a node in this giant network of all Bitcoin nodes around the world, and it begins to communicate and interact with the other nodes in the network, and this is what forms the Bitcoin network. Those nodes that are connected on the Bitcoin network can then exchange information, and in particular, exchange Bitcoin as a form of value as information on this same network. And so this system, which was built on a foundation of free speech, then in turn grants free speech to its users in the sense that anyone who runs a Bitcoin node is free to transact on the Bitcoin network, even to the point of recording messages in his transactions as a form of free speech, quite literally. But of course, the power, the free speech power in the Bitcoin system is the ability to transact itself. It is, after all, a monetary system, a monetary network for exchanging value. But the fact that you can also include messages, free speech messages, along with your transactions, just amplifies the point that this is a free speech system. Now we can understand the connection between free speech and banks closing an account because of a Bitcoin transaction. Doing any kind of business with Bitcoin, buying Bitcoin or selling Bitcoin or anything with Bitcoin, is stepping on the toes of the financial system. It is supporting a free financial system that is at odds with the existing financial system that is not free. 
as you can see by the fact that banks are so ready to close accounts of offenders. Okay. Now, we read in the first article where they were talking about people should be free to be able to criticize their government and things like that. And yes, that is true. But it's not criticism of the government that is of the utmost concern. It's criticism of the banking system because it is ultimately the financial system that allows the bigwigs to control the world. You know the famous saying, I care not who makes the country's laws. Let me control the money and I will control the nation, right? Something like that. If you can control the banking system, if you can control the money through the banking system, then you can control the world. And that's the world we live in. We're on the verge of that. And that's where this kind of dovetails into the topic of central bank digital currencies. Because with central bank digital currencies, or the Fed now, or whatever other name you're going to find in different countries around the world, these government-backed digital currencies are ultimately putting the teeth into the system. We have an existing financial system that already has the legal framework, the rules in place to where if you make speech violations on social media, you can immediately have your account closed. Okay, But it's not necessarily practical for banks and governments to actually enforce that because it's a lot of work. But when the money is digitized, then it's a simple matter for AI to be scanning your social media and reporting to the banking industry, which then can automatically cut your funds. In the moment that you say the wrong word, you can't buy lunch. If that isn't a whip for the slave, I don't know what is. And that's the world that we are entering. Now, we've talked a lot about the news so far and about all these secular things that have been happening and what it has to do with Bitcoin even, but we haven't really gotten into what the Bible says about all this. And so we're going to change gears a little bit right now and we're going to see how the things that we've been talking about are a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Okay, so are you ready? Let's go ahead and change gears then. Let's go ahead and open up the Bible to Revelation chapter 13. This is some really amazing stuff. And the fact that this is playing out in real life is just astounding. Now, chapter 13 starts off describing a beast, basically a world political power, and then a second beast second political power. And those are subjects that are very well studied. And if you do good research on that, you'll have no trouble finding what those beasts mean, what political entities are meant by those beasts, and what characteristics the scriptures show of those entities and why. But we're going to focus more on the conclusion of the chapter which sort of comes to this climax in which people are not able to buy and sell unless they receive the mark of the beast, which is explained in other chapters as being equivalent to damnation. In other words, those who receive the mark of the beast will be cursed to eternal damnation by God. That's how serious this issue is in the sight of God. And therefore, it's of the utmost importance that we understand it. And that's why I want to make it exceptionally clear that what we've just read, that what we've just talked about is setting the stage for exactly what we read in Revelation 13. So let's jump in here. Let's say around verse 13. Now this is talking about the second beast and the amazing things that he does. All right, so Revelation 13, 13. And he, this second beast, doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men, 
and he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Okay, so that's just a little bit of background that I, I don't want to really get into. But the point is that this beast is deceiving the world through miracles, or let's just say through amazing things that he's doing. And then it comes to actually describe what these things are. And this is where it gets interesting for our purposes. So in the middle of verse 14, he deceives them that dwell on the earth, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. So that's the first beast, the one that had the wound by the sword and did live. Okay, so the second beast here deceives those that dwell on the earth, telling them that they should make an image, an image to the beast, the first beast, which is the beast. Okay, now keep in mind that included in the condemnation of the beast is the condemnation of all those who worship his image, those who receive his number, and those who get his mark. So being contaminated with any of those three things automatically slates a person for eternal destruction, for hell, or for the lake of fire, as the Bible describes, for the destruction that was typified by Sodom and Gomorrah that were destroyed by fire from heaven, never to be rebuilt. That is what is awaiting everyone who receives the mark of the beast, the number of the beast, or who worships the image of the beast. And of course, that's the fate of the beast himself. So that is what Revelation is warning about. That is the whole purpose of the book of Revelation, is to spare God's people from falling into that trap and for going along with the beast in his deception. Okay? And so this chapter is critical to understand. And therefore, I want to take it step by step here and make it abundantly clear. And here in verse 14, we see the first intimation of this great deception where it says that he is saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by sword and did live. This is the first mention of any of these beast characteristics, either the image, the number, or the mark. The first mention of any of those is right here with the image. So that already is a hint as to the sequence in which we should expect to see this in the course of history. So in the course of world events, when we're looking around and we're understanding how prophecy is being fulfilled, the first thing to be fulfilled should be that we see this second beast saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast, the first beast. What is that image? How did the beast say to make that image, and how is it an image to the first beast, etc. So we're going to answer that. Verse 15, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause, that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now this is where it starts to get interesting, okay? So it's still talking about the image, but it's talking about giving power to kill those who do not worship the image. And this is why in the article that I read, when the guy said, no one holds a gun to your head and says, you've got to buy this or you've got to see this. Nobody holds a gun to your head. Nobody says, do or die. Nobody says to you that you have to spend your money in a way as to do or die. That's the opposite of freedom. And so when we read here in Revelation that everyone who dwells on the earth is obliged to worship the image of the beast on pain of death, we see that freedom is completely gone. We are now in a situation of total tyranny where you cannot even choose how you worship. Now, in this day and age of pluralism, where any religion goes, the Bible is not referring to worshiping 
in the sense of worshiping a religion. It is worshiping a religion, but not in the same sense that we think of it today. It's about worshiping the beast in contrast to worshiping God, yes. But it's not about freedom of religion in the sense that we think of it today. And this particular passage in the Bible with the image here is strongly reminiscent of the story of Daniel's three friends who were obliged to bow down to an image, to worship an image, on pain of death. And so the imagery is borrowed heavily from that story. And that kind of, that story kind of sets the context, sets the perspective, sets the expectation for what is really being talked about here in the book of Revelation. So that can be very helpful to not go astray in our interpretation because the general thrust of what the Bible's talking about here in Revelation 13 is the same in principle as to what the three Hebrews faced when Nebuchadnezzar set up the golden image. And now that becomes even clearer in verse 16 here. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond. These are all references to wealth, small and great, wealth, rich and poor, wealth, free and bond, wealth. He causeth all from all levels of wealth to receive a mark. So now comes the mark, a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, verse 17, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So now we understand that it's about finances. It's talking about everyone, great and small, rich and poor, free and bond. Those are all ways of referring to the people in terms of their financial status. So the entire world is being addressed here. He could have just referred to the entire world in, in any other way of denominating people. All the peoples of the world, people from every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Uh, you know, there are many ways that God could have referred to everyone, but in here he chose to describe them in terms of their financial standing. So it's addressing all the spectrum of people in, in terms of their financial standing, in the financial context, that none of them might buy or sell, that's transact, with money, except those who received the mark, the name, or the number. Okay, so let's start with just stating the obvious. We're dealing with, it's a financial system. It's a banking system, and it's obliging those who participate in this system to receive the mark of the beast. And what system is this? This is the same system that supports the image which you have to worship on pain of death. Somebody's holding a gun to your head and saying, do this, worship this image, or die. And if you don't worship this image, you won't be able to buy or sell. Now, first of all, isn't that a little bit contradictory or a little bit, I don't know. I mean, how can you say do or die, but if you don't, then you won't be able to buy or sell? Well, okay, if you don't and you die, then obviously a dead man isn't going to be buying or selling anyway. All right? So the do or die aspect must be figurative here. When it says that he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, well, first of all, life there is perhaps equally figurative to death. There's a contrast between life and death in this verse. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. So an image doesn't normally have life. The beast, perhaps, yes, but an image, no. But the image is given life. And by the way, we know from the book of Daniel that the image is also a financial thing. It has to do with wealth. The image of gold, well, it was gold. So it was of high value. It was, it was the wealth of the kingdom sort of cast into this image. And by worshiping it, the three, well, by being obliged to worship it, the three Hebrews were obliged to worship the wealth of the kingdom of Babylon. Are you starting to get the picture? Now, this is highly interesting, highly, highly interesting. Now, if you look in, in my Bible, for example, this word life has a note. And if you look at the note for verse 15, it says that in Greek, 
or you could just look this up in the Strong's, I suppose. It says that in the Greek, this word life actually means breath, okay? So he had power to give breath unto the image of the beast. Now, this is, this is getting deeper and more fascinating as we go into it here. What is breath? I've been emphasizing this over and over in previous episodes. Breath is another word for spirit. In the beginning, when God breathed into Adam the breath of life, the breath of life, by the way, he gave him life, just as it says that the beast, that the image of the beast was given life, it was given breath, according to the Greek. He was given the spirit, just in the same way that Adam was given the spirit, the the spirit of breath. The spirit is the breath, okay? And why is the spirit the breath? It's because spirit refers to things that are not physical. And breath, air, is something that you can't see. It's invisible. It doesn't really have a physical component. It doesn't have a solid or liquid component to it. It's a vapor. It's invisible. You cannot touch it in a tangible way. And it is this air, this spirit, this breath, this vapor of the atmosphere where the birds fly which is symbolic of the spiritual realm where the angels fly. The spiritual realm is something we cannot see. It's like the air. It's invisible, okay? And likewise, when you look up into the heavens, into outer space, and you see all the vastness, the emptiness, the vapor, so to speak, or clouds, there's nothing there. There's no solid matter in between all the stars. And then there are the stars that twinkle And those are representative of the angels in the same way that the birds in our local atmosphere symbolize the angels. So at every level, we can see that the spiritual things are represented by the immaterial, whether that be air, whether that be space, whether that be the breath. Okay, so spirit just refers to things that are metaphysical things that don't have a physical component, things that exist and are real and even cause influences in the real world, like how the wind blows the leaves and the leaves themselves are physical solid objects, but yet they're driven by an invisible wind. In the same way, the spirit refers to things that cannot be seen, but they do exist and they do have an effect on the real world. And I've been showing time and time again, and really trying to emphasize this point, that in the monetary system, Bitcoin is a spiritual system. It's a spiritual money in the sense that it has no physical component. It's just information on a computer or even a cloud of computers around the world, which is, by the way, kind of nice. Being a network of many computers that hold the distributed ledger, it's actually a cloud in the true sense of the word, by the way. Typically, we think of a cloud of computers as being a data center somewhere in the world in one physical geographical location, and we call that a cloud. But the true cloud is a distributed cloud, and that's the Bitcoin network. It's a distributed network of computers. That's a true cloud in the truest sense of the word, and that is the kind of cloud that forms the money called Bitcoin. And just as clouds are vapor and you cannot touch them, if you would go into a cloud, you would not find anything solid, even though they look solid from a distance. And so to this point that Bitcoin is a monetary system that has no physical component, it's entirely spiritual. It's entirely like breath, like a cloud, okay? And it's alive in that sense of being spiritual. And so when the Bible speaks about life, being given to the image of the beast. Now, the image of the beast is not Bitcoin, but in the same way that Bitcoin has life and has this spiritual property in that it has no physical component, in the same way, the fiat financial system is also undergoing a change. It is also becoming spiritualized. It is also being given breath, being given life, being given spirit. And we are about, we are on the brink of having a central bank digital currency that has absolutely no basis, no connection 
to anything physical anymore. Not so many years ago, we had very physical money. We had gold, gold bars, right? Gold coins, gold, any kind of gold. It's very physical. I mean, you, you don't get more physical than that. It's, it's a literal element. It's a literal substance that you can literally make things out of, okay? And then we went to, we went off of the gold standard, okay? And then all we had was this paper money, right? And that paper money then, you know, still had a little bit of a physical component to it. You can still collect dollar bills and you can kind of keep them and guard them and give them to people and use them as a physical means of exchange, even though the physical properties of the money aren't what make it valuable anymore, as it was with the gold. With the physical money, the value comes only from the fact that it's widely recognized as being valuable and it's promised by the government to be valuable, okay? But we're about, with the CBDCs, we're about to enter a time when not even that little bit of paper physicality is going to exist. Instead, we're going to have money that is entirely digital, fiat money that is entirely digital, like how Bitcoin has no physical component. In the same way, there will be absolutely no physical component to the fiat currency. It won't be backed by gold. It won't even be backed by paper dollars, which is no backing anyway. It will be strictly and entirely non-physical. It will be spiritual. It will be like breath, like a vapor, this CBDC money. Okay, That is the money of Babylon, modern-day Babylon, the kingdom of the world. Okay? that is represented in the book of Daniel by the golden image. It's the, the monetary system. It's the image made of gold, made of money, that represents the wealth of the kingdom to which everyone should bow down and esteem worth to. That's what worship is, to count worthy. When you worship something, you esteem it as being worthy or valuable. And so to worship the image, in the case of Daniel's three friends, to worship the image of gold symbolizes to count as worthy and valuable the money of the kingdom of Babylon. Okay? Translate that to the book of Revelation and to our time. And what that means is that everyone in the world is going to be called upon to count as worthy the vapor-like, the completely spiritualized away money that has no physical component that is created by and represents the kingdom of of modern-day Babylon, the kingdoms of the world, okay? We're talking about a global digital currency, the CBDC, which doesn't mean a single currency. I want to emphasize that. Just like how Babylon had many different religions, many different false gods in every location of the kingdom, according to the individual geographical area and the customs and cultures of that place, Babylon kept those individual gods in those various places. But in Babylon, in the headquarters itself, was this monetary system, this statue of gold that everyone had to worship, okay? You can think of that as kind of like the dollar as the reserve currency. That's what everyone has to worship. But yet, in every country, you still have your local currency, just like they still had their false gods in every part of the kingdom of Babylon, okay? So don't think there's going to be one universal digital currency. No. The kingdom of Babylon is a kingdom of plurality, and so there will always be many, many, many different kinds of monies. But that is the characteristic of Babylon. That is the characteristic of the false system. And many people get this wrong, unfortunately. And they see Bitcoin as being the one system. Oh, that must be the bad one. That must be the, the one world money that we should not allow to take over the world. No, 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 no. The meaning is exactly the opposite. Remember, it was Israel who had one God. It was the good guys that had only one God, okay? And so Bitcoin is the one unified, not even unified. You can't say unified because unified means there are things, individual parts that have come together. But Bitcoin is the one unique monetary system. It's one of a kind, just as God is one of a kind. There's nobody like him, okay? Bitcoin is the one unique, one-of-a-kind monetary system that was given by God for his people at this time. Praise God. It's a system of freedom, a system that's open 
a system that cannot, does not allow people to be denied access to do transactions as is described in Revelation 13 here, that no man might buy or sell except he that receives the mark or the name or the number. Okay, but the CBDC system does have the mechanisms to surveil and to control the people. And that's what we started off this episode with in looking at those news reports showing how that is already going into effect even before the CBDCs are officially rolled out. Just on the force of the rules, on the force of the laws, even with the existing financial system. And so, of course, that's going to continue right along into the central bank digital currencies when they arrive on the scene. Only it will be more powerful and they will be able to censor more people, cut off the banking for more people more quickly, more responsively in in reaction to social media posts and things like that than ever before. Okay, but the principle is already taking shape. We can see it today. Okay, so this is really an amazing topic and not sure how we're doing on time here. I have a feeling that we're kind of pushing the limits and so I'm probably going to need to wrap this up here. All right, let's just kind of bring this together for the time being. What we've seen here is in the earlier part of this episode, we, we saw how banks are literally closing accounts of people for speech that is offensive to others. That's such a broad category. It's to the point where as of November, in at least one country in the world, which sets the precedent for the whole world because the whole world is operating under the same legal frameworks now, we have, as of November, the situation where by posting the wrong things on social media, whether that be racism, whether that be speaking against LGBT, whether that be speaking against government propaganda, vaccinations, anything like that, any kind of speech that is offensive to anybody is grounds for having your bank account closed without explanation. And the most offensive reason of all is if you transact with Bitcoin, which is a system built on free speech that guarantees free speech. And so what that shows is that we are at the point, we've reached the point where you have to make a decision. You either have to fall in line, you either have to bite your tongue and do everything that the governments say, or else lose your banking privileges. Or, if you do find yourself that route, or you simply won't comply, then your other alternative is to choose Bitcoin, choose the system of freedom. You either become a slave to the new system, or you become free under Bitcoin. The choice is yours. And we're at the point, we've reached the point, where you have to make that choice or else it will be made for you. Okay, the implementation may take some time, but the first instance of that has already happened. We read the article about it and how that goes into effect as of November. So we're there. It has begun. It's just a matter of time until it reaches around the globe from Australia to every other country in the world. Okay, and we've seen how that fulfills what is stated in Revelation 13, that would happen in connection with the mark of the beast. And so in another episode, we'll have to get a little more into what the mark and the image and the number really represent exactly and why they appear in the order that they do. But I think it's enough to see right now that what the Bible was warning about, the danger that will make a person liable to eternal damnation, to the flames of Sodom and Gomorrah, that danger is present in our world today. And we are facing that choice. Are we going to give honor, give worship, give worth to the monetary system of the world, to the golden image that represents the kingdom of modern Babylon? Or are we going to suffer being cut off, being killed figuratively from that system, not being able to buy or sell using the banking system in order to keep our hands and forehead clean from this beast system. There's a lot that we need to go into here yet, but I just want to make the call once more. B 
because it's high time. I want to make the call to go all in on Bitcoin while you still can. And before you're forced to, without the option to move your funds from one system to the other, the time is quickly coming when you will not be able to buy Bitcoin for fiat money. And if you have any fiat wealth, it will be lost to you and you won't have the option to exchange it for Bitcoin. Exchange it now while you can. Make yourself poor in the system of Babylon, but rich in the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Do that as soon as possible. Live on Bitcoin as much as you can. Keep your stash, keep your wealth, whether it's a lot or a little, in Bitcoin. And exchange what you need on a daily basis from that, if necessary. Until the circular economy, within, you know, completely within Bitcoin can be fully established. Friends, we're facing difficult times, and these are the times that the Bible warned about. We are living in the time to which this warning applies, and important decisions need to be made. Which side will you stand on? Will you bow down to the image? Will you bow down to the world's financial system? Or will you honor the God of heaven, whose principles are embodied in the Bitcoin network, as we've laid out meticulously in this podcast. I think you know which choice to make. We have a choice between two spiritual systems, two systems that are not based on any intrinsic value, any physical value. We've got Bitcoin on the one hand, which is pure information. It's not based on any physical value. And then we have the coming CBDC on the other hand, which is going to be a government-backed system that's also not based on any physical value, not based on gold or anything. And you're going to have to choose between those two systems. And all the arguments that were against Bitcoin because of its apparent lack of intrinsic value also apply to the CBDCs. They also have no intrinsic value. But what they do have is the power of the state behind them. And the ultimate question that you're going to face is, do you bow down to the power of the state or to the power of God? Do you esteem as worthy the state's financial system by falling in line in obedience to the state, no matter how far it tramples on your conscience, even to the point of causing you to receive the mark and image and number of the beast, even to the point of doing things and approving of things that are in the sight of God worthy of hellfire? Will you go that far in obedience to the beast and lose your eternal life, all because of a money that is backed by the power of force, by the power of the state? Or will you choose to suffer the harder course, but the freer course, the course that allows you to have a free conscience, to serve God according to the dictates of your own conscience, the system Bitcoin that is built on free speech and that ensures free speech, that is an open system that nobody can be prevented from transacting with, a system that follows the principles of the kingdom of heaven. Are you going to choose that way, the road less traveled, so to speak, the more difficult way, the narrow way? Are you going to choose that way while you still can, before you get locked in, pressured in, coerced, into doing things and confessing things and being obedient to things that in the sight of God are worthy of destruction by eternal fire. Count the cost. Count the cost. It may not be easy to go all in on Bitcoin, but count the cost because the cost of not going in to Bitcoin is far greater. Which is more valuable to you? An opportunity to live forever with God in a kingdom of righteousness or to live a little while in the kingdoms of this world under abject slavery, and only to be destroyed after that forever. Count the cost, and decide which is really worthy, the gold of the kingdom of Babylon, or the gold of the kingdom of heaven. Your choice today will determine your eternal future, so make a wise choice. All right, I'm going to stop there. And we've just scratched the surface. We've just opened the topic, but uh, we will pick up, Lord willing, next week 
and dig a little deeper into some of these themes. So share this episode because it's a very important topic and it has laid an important foundation for the things that we're going to talk about in the next episode. So people won't want to miss this one. So do share it. And if this podcast is a blessing to you, your contributions are appreciated. And I hope that despite the seriousness of the topic, you found this message to be a great blessing. And it is my greatest desire that whether I ever see you or know you as an individual, that you will ultimately find salvation by following and heeding God's warnings in the Bible and that you will be benefited by the eternal life that Jesus Christ came to impart to you. Don't mess it up. He did a wonderful thing for you. Don't mess it up. Until next time, have a blessed week, and God be with you in all that you do. Bye-bye.